Welcome to Two Cents FC. I'm your host, Amobi Okugo, back again with my guy, L. Each week, we'll be talking with individuals from around the soccer world, learning about their stories and getting their unfiltered thoughts and opinions. This week, we're joined by living legend, former professional soccer player, and current director of operations for Charlotte SD, Darius Barnes. We'll be talking about his journey from playing field to front office and Charlotte FC heading into their debut season and more. As you guys know, we always start with two truths and a cap. But Darius, how you doing today? I'm good. Chilling, chilling. Good to be on here. Um, yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on. Nah, thanks for making the time. We know you're busy. So two truths and a cap. Uh, L, give the rules to Darius and then we'll go from there. All right. So two truths and a cap. Um, this is our icebreaker game that we play. You'll tell us three facts about yourself. Two will be true. One will be a lie. And Amobi and I have to guess what the lie is. So I think, let me see, I got it right last week. Amobi. Yeah, yeah you're up. He's yeah. probably up like 11 to, 11 to 7 right I'm still now. Still on a decent streak. Um, so <laughs> Amobi said, like, like 11 <laughs> to 7. <laughs> so whenever you're ready, Darius, go ahead, man. All right. Um, let's see here. So, number one, um, I grew up a UNC fan. Um, number two, uh, my favorite workout brand is Noble. Okay. Um, number three, let's see. Um, I love fashion. Oh, this is good. So he went to Duke, so that's going to be kind of tough to understand. He grew up. Yeah, I'm Noble. Say, Noble I'm is say, I'm gonna say UNC is the lie. Noble's uh like it's a I think it's a Boston brand. So he does have ties, but he's like heavy Adidas. And I definitely know he's into fashion because he's always trying to post on the Instagram. I'm gonna go UNC fan. Yeah, I'm going UNC. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I hit you with the I hit you with the heavy pump fake. The heavy <laughs> pump. Dang. <laughs> no, nah, I actually I actually hate admitting this, but uh like my all my, my family and close friends know I, I actually did grow up, even though I went to Duke, I grew up a UNC fan. No more, no more a UNC fan, but grew up, had like posters on the wall, all that. But uh-huh. um, you know, that that that's history history now. It's all it's all blue devils, you know, from here on out. But um nah, I'm not a um you know what my homie Clyde Sims will appreciate this. We uh he's a big he's a big noble guy and I'd be bashing him all the time just because he talks about how you know how dope the, the sneakers are and comfort comfort yeah. level and I'm just like now nah, they gotta up their game up a little bit from a design standpoint. <laughs> like they could be comfort all day, but um the design's not there. So I'll, I'll be crushing him a little bit on that. Uh respect. And okay. I know we're gonna get into all that, especially you growing up a UNC fan. But first question we ask, when did you fall in love love with soccer? Yeah, man. Um, I probably fell in love with the game when I was, you know, four or five years old. That's when that's when I started playing, and it was really by chance. Um, just had a, I think I was in like kindergarten, um, and you know, one of my, you know, dudes that I grew up with, you know, his dad asked me to come play rec ball, um, and really just from there, just you know, was infatuated with the sport. Always had a, always had a ball at my feet, and you know, it was it was an escape for me. You know, at the time, my parents didn't know much about soccer at all. My my dad grew up playing basketball and football knew absolutely nothing about the game um but i think they just saw how much i enjoyed the game once i was out there um you know it was, it was just natural to me um and it was something that i gravitated towards and 
you know, it's it really, it's really bizarre to see because back then there wasn't too many black people or black kids playing soccer. And I'm, you know, I'm sure you guys can relate to that. Um, but, you know, that was, you know, as a kid, it's just, you know, looking back on it, it's just kind of amazing to see that, you know, don't, you don't really, you know, go with the flow or go with what everyone else is doing just as, as a young age, just wanted to create my own lane and, you know, do what was enjoyable. Um, and obviously I really wasn't thinking about that, you know, at that time, but, you know, as you start to look back on it, your, your, your subconscious starts to kick in a little bit and then you can see your subconscious kick in at a younger age. So, um, it's something that I gravitated towards and, you know, something that stuck with me and I, you know, in love with the game to this day. No, I respect. So I have a question because usually we ask people like growing up, did you have any other black teammates? And like being from North Carolina, like that's basketball country. And yeah. uh, your dad, you said he played basketball and football. What's that dynamic like? Do they like start to learn about the game as you go? Or is it just like, oh, our son Darius loves it and we're just going to support him? Yeah, I think that, you know, I think the latter right there, it was the, you know, was the case early on, you know, they saw I love the game and they, they wanted to support me. You know, my, my parents have been super supportive in everything I've done, you know, from day one, you know, kept coming out the womb, my, my parents have been supportive, you know, of what I've done um, and, and to this day the same. Um, so I think, it, you know, it's important to have, you know, strong black parents around me that, that support me and what I do and, you know, I've been behind me every step of the way. But, you know, I think, you know, as, as with myself, like, you know, coming into the game when I was younger, I didn't know much about, about soccer. You know, you, don't, you didn't really sit on TV as much, um, you know, when I was, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old. Um, and all you saw was basketball, football, baseball. But, you know, they started to, you know, I think their dedication to seeing me succeed in the sport, you know, kind of persuaded them and, and got them more inclined with the game. And wanted, they wanted to learn more about the game themselves. And, you know, just being around it, you know, I think to this day, you continue to learn more about the game, the more you watch it, the more you're involved with the game, you know, rule changes, you know, you know, players, playing styles, tactics, um, all things of that sort, you know, just continue to learn and, and evolve with the game. Um, you know, my parents have, you know, did the same thing just at an earlier age, just so they could, you know, be there to support me and, and rally behind me and really, you know, push me to all my, my goals, dreams and aspirations. No, I respect. So talk about North Carolina, because I know you rep North Carolina hard. Talk about North Carolina as a soccer community and like soccer talent, like a hotbed. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I don't think there's any better place, honestly, and in, the, oh, in the country. You said, yeah, you heard, you, you heard that right. You heard that right. You heard that right. <laughs> there, there, there may be some on par. There may be some on par. But in terms of, you know, hotbeds from a youth development standpoint, um, I think, I think, you know, North Carolina is it. And especially with, you know, if you look at the, the colleges around here from an educational standpoint for one, but just from a soccer standpoint, you know, you have Duke, UNC, you know, Wake Forest, uh, NC State, uh, you got UNCG, Elon, there is tons of soccer schools around here and, you know, tons of clubs. Um, you know, when I was growing up, I played for Triangle Football Club, you know, one of our biggest rivals were, was Castle. And, you know, obviously that's all shifted now with, you know, the academy system that's come in and, and then some clubs merging. Um, but I think, you know, working with Charlotte FC right now, I think, you know, we have an amazing opportunity just with all the clubs that are around um, from CSA to Charlotte Independent, um, you know, obviously working with NCFC and NC Fusion. There's just, you know, such a love for the game from a, from a youth and player development standpoint. You know, and I think if, you know, we do our due diligence and do what we're supposed to, you know, we'll be able to tap into all that talent and, you know, really provide access for, you know, for, for kids who haven't had access before and just continue to, to cultivate the talent that, that already exists. So I think there's a huge opportunity for us at Charlotte FC to, to really tap into that talent that, that hasn't been done so before. 
No, I respect you because you know you rep hard and you gave facts. Got around, to. You you gave facts around your 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 statement. I will say North Carolina has the top youth soccer fields known to like always fresh soccer fields. That's why the NCAA tournament is there like every other year. And that's what when you get to, when you come to the country, man. That's what you get. <laughs> and then when it comes to like male and female talent, like spread evenly, uh, I would say you guys are top six for sure. But you man, say you got, at least I, give, you got you got at least give a top five, top six. You're just making stuff up now. <laughs> all right, top, top top five, top five. All right. So you talked about uh, you know growing up a UNC fan, but you eventually went to Duke. What was that process like? Like how did it come about? Yeah, I think just, you know, as I mentioned before, just being, you know, there's so many elite players coming through um, the youth ranks when I was, you know, growing up and, you know, just having access and being able to go see, you know, some of these top universities play. Um, you really didn't have to go far to get recruited um, with, with, with these elite institutions right around you and elite programs right around you. So, you know, I was being seen by, you know, Carolina coaches, Duke coaches, you know, Wake Forest coaches, um, excuse me, in, in, um, in South Carolina, Furman coaches, you know, NC State coaches all the time and having, you know, interactions with them <laughs> informally. It wasn't breaking in NCAA rules at the time, but you, you know, yeah. you, you bump into them here and there at tournaments and whatnot. But um, I think I was just very fortunate to be in this area, to be in such a hotbed where, you know, we had had such access and, um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to, to get a scholarship offer from, from Duke and, you know, pretty much without, without sugarcoating my mom was like you're going to duke once once that once, yeah. that, once that offer came my mom was like you're going to duke so i think that's really where my, my love for duke came and i think it just grew from there respect so you know, give us like all right give us the rundown on duke like obviously top education so i know your mom similar to my parents like it's no decision like you got to go but from exactly. a soccer standpoint you got a lot of talent way Forest has done well unc has done well Furman has done well even uncg um who are some ballers to come out of Duke, you know, outside of yourself that you're like, all right, I'll put this five aside against anyone, or I'll take this best 11 and run it up on the field. Yeah. I mean, we had some, we had some ballers in my day. We, uh, I think Duke is in a, in a rebuilding stage right now. And like you said, there's a lot of these, <laughs> and I, I'm putting that nicely. We're in a rebuilding stage, but hey, you know, UCLA is too. So it's all good. <laughs> it happens. But I mean, I mean, you know, what best like ACC is just the top, top soccer conference. And it's, you know, you really had to come to compete uh, day in and day out. But, you know, if I like number one for me is Mike Grella, you know, Mike Grella was an absolute oh, yeah. baller in college, um, having to go up against him, you know, day in and day out and him bringing his, you know, Long Island swag. Um, he just, he just kind of brought that his Long Island and Italian swag with how he played. And I think he just, he just played the game so freely. And I think until I got to Duke, I had never really seen anybody play the way he did just, you know, the creativity and joy yeah. that he played with. And, he, you could just tell he was on a on a on a different level. Uh, Mike Vadira, uh played in the center of the park, played in the league for a few years with you know Chicago Fire and New England as well. Um, unfortunately, injuries and concussions derailed his career, but you know he was you know an unbelievable talent in the middle of the park as well. You know could spray a ball all across the pitch. Um, I'm thinking of Spencer Wadsworth, who I played with, who's an agent at WMG right now. Um, you know I played with. Kyle Helton, Zach Pope, um, Andrew Winger, I didn't, I didn't play with, but he came in, you know, shortly after, um, obviously was, a, uh, I think it was a top draft pick. You know, he was, <laughs> he was one of the only players that win. I think ACC, you know, defensive player of the year and ACC, like yeah, MVP awesome. offensive rookie of the year. Yeah. So, you know, he was just a very versatile player. Um, 
throughout the pitch. Um, Cole Grossman yeah. played in Baller. played in Columbus, uh, played in Salt Lake for a bit. Um, now doing big things overseas in the business world. So you know, we definitely had some had some ballers. Um, and then if you look at some of the old heads, you got you know Jason Christ. Um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough I was coached by Jay Heap, so it's kind of crazy to see that whole Duke network come come full circle. So can Jay Heap really? He could really play basketball too. Like he could really ball, because that's the rumor. That's that's the vouch. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go on the record for because I I still need to see him play. Okay. I still need to see Jay play. But I mean, if you if you if you make the uh you know make make the uh you get on the court for Coach K, I think you're doing all right for yourself. Yeah. All right, perfect. And let's not forget about the young gun. I know you're a little bit older now, but uh, Jeremy Ibobisi, a uh, yes. friend of the show, he went to Duke ball. as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, Jeremy Ibobisi. We got Sean Davis. Yeah, a lot of oh, yeah, a lot of the young bucks. Okay. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good, yeah, you guys got a good squad. I'm not even going to lie. Uh, so, all right, so you, you spent some time at Duke, um, and then you go to New England. Talk about that experience, getting drafted, and obviously it's changed so much now, but talk about how it was for you. I know you broke a couple records, you know, being one of the only rookies to play every minute of every game for that rookie season. Yeah, man, it was uh, it was a bit surreal, you know. You know, growing up, like I said, with my, my parents not knowing much about the game and just – you know, how, how I fell into the game, you know, I never could have, you know, dreamed, you know, my wildest dreams that I'd be playing professionally. Um, really, it was just, you know, a sport that I enjoyed playing and had a passion for, you know, but, you know, the sport takes you, you know, so many, you know, different places. And I think that's one of the things I love about it, just, you know, the different places that the game has taken me both, you know, domestically and internationally. And you just, you know, you start to build up a lot of these experiences and, you know, with those experiences, you know, you, you, you learn from the game and, and you continue to get better. And I think, you know, all those experiences built up and, you know, helped me in my days at Duke to, you know, get better year in and year out. Um, you know, I had a really good freshman year at Duke and, you know, from there started to, to really get some interest. And that's when I, you know, started to realize that I could, you know, probably make a career out of things if I continue to keep my head on my shoulders and, you know, do what I was supposed to and do everything within my control. You know, so I was fortunate enough to, to get drafted by by New England um, in the third round, and you know even with that, you know third round picks usually aren't you know looked at as you know those that are gonna gonna make the roster. So, you know I just really went into to training camp and preseason, you know my rookie year in 2000 and 2009, um, and just said I mean I'm, I'm gonna give it a shot, I'm gonna give it my all, and you know with everything you need you need some luck and you need some things to really fall in place for you. And you know luckily I got drafted to New England, who who had a need in my position, um, which helped. Um, had a, a coaching staff too, who really believed in me and believed in in young players and, and giving players a shot. Um, and so I think you know, really being drafted to New England was um, was a blessing to me and you know helping me realize my dreams. And you know, there's it, nothing like you know getting that call from the GM telling me that they're you know they're going to sign me and you know sign me to a contract. And then you know playing my first game, I think we played in San Jose and just. Standing there, you kind of get goosebumps when the, you know, when the national anthem is playing and you're about to play your first professional match, you know, standing beside, you know, players like Shari Joseph and, you know, my boy Kevin Austin, you know, to this day yeah. and, and guys that I still keep in touch with just, you know, being, you know, being able to share moments with, with people like that and, you know, looking back on it, it's just, you know, really special moment. Oh, that's, a, that's amazing. And obviously, you know, our careers overlapped a little bit, but what advice would you have for like a young guy trying to make it into the game now? You, you know, you've been through it. You did the college, you went to pro over 10 years. Um, and you know, you've worked in soccer still. So you've seen a lot. What, mm -hmm. what 
separates those guys that make it, whether they're drafted high, drafted low, undrafted, picked up on trial. What's the difference, you know, for the people that are like looking to, you know, your career as an example of what to accomplish? Yeah, I think for me, it's, I think you gotta, I think you gotta enjoy the grind and, and respect the grind at the same time. You know, you have to, um, you gotta let, you gotta let things run its course and you gotta, you kind of gotta take thing, take the bull by the horns as well. You can't just, just because, you know, you know, you were the top player at youth, you're going to be the top player in co- in college. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be the top player in pros. And, you know, I, I think I took that, that attitude, understanding that, you know, I had work to do once, you know, just because I got drafted didn't mean that I was going to automatically get a contract. And so mm-hmm. just kind of taking the, taking it step by step and not really biting off more than, more than you can chew um, and really just enjoying it at the same time, you know, just take it a day at a time and enjoy the process. Um, and I think if you enjoy the process and not kind of prospect too far out, um, I really think you're going to have a better chance of being successful. And um, like I said, just taking each day and, and enjoying, enjoying what the game is bringing you, you know, enjoy, you know, enjoy those two days, you know, enjoy being in the weight room, enjoy the time with your teammates. Um, I think if you can find enjoyment and the good and the bad, you're, you'll start to get better perspective and you'll really start to, you know, weed out some of the, the cloudiness that gets in the way, you know, as you start to embark on your, you know, professional or college journey or whatever that may be. That's true. Do you think it was that that attitude and that mindset that helps you stand out as a rookie? I think so. I, I really do. I think, um, you know, a lot of people say, you know, you have, you have chip on your shoulders from being, you know, this team didn't take me or that team didn't take me or you were this draft pick. Like, I didn't look at it that way. You know, I looked at it as, you know, I was fortunate to, to be drafted and, you know, I was one of a few that were that are able to say that you know I played professionally and that I was able to get drafted. So I just took it. I see things as an opportunity, um, and I think getting drafted to England was an opportunity. And so, you know, I wanted to go out there, you know, improve myself. You know, I think I had, you know, th- that first week of preseason, I kind of had some some you know rookie jitters and a little bit of nervousness. But then you just realize that you know it's the same game that you played, you know, all your life, and the same game that, you know. That, that you fell in love with. And, you know, once you get out there and, you know, start to develop a rapport and camaraderie with your teammates, you know, it, it's the same game. Might be a little bit faster, a little bit more physical, but uh, at the end of the day, it's the same game. And, you know, you adjust um, and adapt just like you do anything else in life. Any forwards where you're like, ah, I got to play this guy. Like, man, man, there were, there were a couple. I'll tell you what, playing against Shari, even though he wasn't a forward, playing against Shari Joseph in practice every day was, was not it. I mean, I still yeah. got my, my man used to keep his, his fingernails long for, for, for that very reason, just to keep, <laughs> keep, keep opponents at bay. And I, I was, I was a victim of that a couple of times in training, still have, still have some scars from that. But, um, crazy. I mean, probably one of the, the toughest defenders I've, I've played against is Robbie Keane, um, yeah. you know, playing against him, uh, just obviously not, not the fastest, but his, his, his mind was so sharp and just his movement off the ball. Um, you know, I think there's a, a goal on YouTube where he just dropped the absolute banger on me because I'm, I'm playing off of him because I'm, you know, I'm kind of tentative of, of his movement and, uh, off the ball. And he just, all right, you're going to give me that much space. I'm going to drop one on you from, from 25, 30 yards out. So um, I think, you know, he was tough. Um, Landon, obviously, uh, was a tough mark. Um, Connor Casey, um, just uh, how, yeah. <laughs> how big he was, just being able to post up and, you know, you know, you know, when yeah, they're playing direct, <laughs> yeah, he knows how to use his body. So he, he was a, he was a tough matchup for me as well. But you know, there were tons of great forwards um, in the league, and you know, I actually say now, I think the the league has just gotten so much better. Like I feel like I have have a tough time keeping up these days. So I think I retired at the right time. 
<laughs> no, nah, it's funny what you said about Robbie King because I always tell people, I'm like, yo, Robbie King, that's one because he'd be staying off, off sides and then by the time the ball's ready, he's onside and his exactly. way he dribbles, like the ball sticks to him. You like, you poke it, but it still somehow stays with it. That's um, it. It's, it's wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously you guys played against them in the 2014 MLS Cup final. Uh, your team was very popular that year. You know, you had Jermaine Jones, you mm-hmm. know, kind of leading the charge from a, not only team standpoint, but a media standpoint. Talk about that season specifically. Um, you guys were doing really well, obviously made it to the finals. Um, but from your standpoint, you know, playing with somebody like Jermaine Jones. Yeah, I mean, that, that year was a whirlwind. Um, I think that, that was 2014. Um, just, I feel like that was, there was like, five different seasons kind of kind of <laughs> baked into that one season. I think we started off decent, um, had a decent run. Then I think we went on like a 10 game, 11 game, like losing streak or a winless streak or something like that. Jermaine came in the summer, gave us, you know, a jolt of energy that we needed coming off of the World Cup. Um, and I think just his, I think his, his, his attitude, his toughness, um, his will to win really kind of rubbed off on, on the team and just, you know, we just knew like if we got into the playoffs that we could make a deep run. And I think we just started to click in jail um, at the right time. You know, he, he came in, he, he held people accountable. Um, obviously his, his quality, you know, speaks for itself, you know, coming off of, you know, scoring bangers against Portugal in the World Cup and, and things like that. So just, you know, sharing some of those experiences um, and just, you know, being around a play like that just ups your level because you, you know, you want to show what you can do. And, you know, you know, as a competitor, as a, as a professional, you want to compete against the best. So I just think, you know, his presence really brought out the best in, in everyone and, and raised everyone's level. And I, I think we hit the hit the hit our stride at the right time um, and it'll carry us all the way to MLS Cup. And, you know, unfortunately, we were, I think, uh, a, a ball a shot off the crossbar away from winning MLS yeah. Cup till Bunbury hit the crossbar in the, in the dying seconds of regulation. Um, and ultimately, we ended up going into uh, to extra time and losing that game to the Galaxy. But, um, you know, definitely a season to remember. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And you had a career to remember, you know, you spent most of your career in uh, New England, a storied franchise when it comes to MLS. But one of the oldest and most historic clubs that you played for is the New York Cosmos. Can you talk about that stint there? Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it, was a, it was a stint I was, I was fortunate to have, you know, um, in 2016, uh, my contract with New England was um, was over. So I wanted to, you know, kind of test for agency and see what else is out there. I had been in New England for, for eight years. Um, and as anyone knows, and when you're playing professional sports, that's, you know, a pretty long time to be with one franchise. So just wanted to, you know, see what my options were, um, see what else was out there. Um, I ended up going into preseason, um, that next preseason in 2017 with, um, Seattle, um, and things were, were looking up there, but I ended up, um, getting hurt at the end of, in the preseason um, and then couldn't sign his contract while I was injured. So, you know, New York Cosmos fortunately gave me an opportunity and, you know, they, they, they wanted me to come, you know, be a part of their organization. And, you know, I saw it as a new challenge, you know, to play, like you said, for a storage franchise um, in, in North America, uh, but also play for a coach like Gio Savarisi um, um, was, was fantastic. And to play in a new league, you know, while, while it wasn't MLS, you know, it was an opportunity to, to test myself and, you know, honestly, like the quality of players in NASL um, at the time was, you know, fantastic. It was a fantastic level. Um, I think it, it, the, the tough adjustment for MLS players going to a league like that is just kind of what you're used to from a, you know, I guess from a professionalism, like a facility standpoint. You know, you're not, you know, you're not getting those first class facilities like like you're used to. 
Um, so that's that a little bit of a learning curve for me, but you know, you, you deal with some of that adversity um, changes and, and adapt. Um, and, you know, I, I enjoy my time um, in New York and, you know, I think it was a, a silver lining for me as well to be in New York because it, you know, introduced me. I was able to meet some new people by living in a new city. Um, and that really helped me get to and helped me start planning out my, my post-playing career um, and transition to, you know, to MLS and then ultimately to where I'm in now um, with Charlotte FC. Yeah, perfect. So talk about that because I remember, you know, when we talked back in the day, you were taking the train up to like different parts of New York to do like networking meetings. You know, I know you were doing some analysis work for the, the revolution. Talk about how important that is, you know, as an athlete, you know, me specifically, this is what I'm passionate about. Um, but you were already kind of had the foresight to do that. Yeah, I think, I think, again, it's just all around like your passion points. Um, you know, for me, like I, I have a, you know, strong interest and passion and, you know, seeing this game grow in North America. Um, I think, you know, the potential for this game is limitless and you've seen, you know, you've seen the game grow, you've seen MLS grow over, over the past few years. And, you know, I still think we have a ways to go just to, I think there's tons of untapped talent um, in the United States that, that we can access and provide access to and give access to, you know, more people of color and, um, you know, inner city communities, uh, making the, the game more available. Um, but with that said, I think, you know, I think the game's headed in the right direction. And I think, um, you know, for me, I just want to continue to, to see that develop. Um, it's something I've always wanted to see develop. And so, you know, when, while I was playing that, that last year, 2017, you know, for the Cosmos in New York, um, I, started, I, I knew I was, you know, towards the latter half of my career. So I just wanted to start to put some of the bricks in place to see, you know, what, what my options would be, you know, post-playing um, and being there in New York, you know, I developed some relationships with people in the, um, uh, in the league office uh, at MLS. Um, you know, I was at a, at a bar one time in Brooklyn and bumped into Kaylin Carr, uh, who was working at MLS at the time and still working at MLS um, on the content side of the house. Um, and he was like, you know, come over, you know, we'll, you know, we'll kind of do, do the rounds, introduce you to people in different departments. Um, one of my mentors, Gary Stevenson, who's, uh, the deputy uh, deputy commissioner and president of business ventures um, at MLS um, as well. So I had, had a couple meetings with him um, and really just, you know, doing everything I could to, to meet new people. You know, I was doing things inside and outside of soccer. You know, I was meeting with people at, um, there's a creative agency called RGA, um, met with someone in investment banking um, and just really wanted to kind of put myself out there to see where my interests lie. But everything ultimately came back to soccer. Everything was me as soccer. I think that was where, you know, where I was happiest and where I was going to find usually where I was going to get the most, you know, out of my, my post-playing career. So, you know, I was fortunate uh, once my playing days were over, um, I landed a job at the league office in the partnership marketing department, uh, managing um, a number of our corporate partners from the likes of Adidas, Audi, um, MGM, SeatGeek, um, J&J, Southern New Hampshire University. Um, to name a couple. And so, you know, that, that experience really, you know, opened my eyes to the commercial side of business. Um, just knowing that, you know, players like our, ourselves, we've been on the technical side for so long and kind of had that same cadence and same schedule. I wanted to to learn something different and, and put something else in my, my toolbox. So just really wanted to learn the, the commercial side of, of, of sport and the commercial side of MLS. And um, that's really, that's really what pushed me to, um, to start to pursue that, that side of the business. And, you know, I was fortunate enough a, a couple months ago to land a gig um, as a director of business operations with Charlotte FC. So it's going to be cool and unique to to really build an MLS club and franchise from the ground up. No, that's amazing. 
So as a player, obviously, you know, we have views of the league, but, you know, we're seeing it from the playing side. So you were able to see it from both, like playing and business side. Did that give you like a new appreciation of MLS or did it give you like a new, like, oh, okay, maybe that's why this worked out differently. Or this is maybe like, maybe we should like kind of relax a little bit for some certain things when it comes to, uh, you know, things that we complain about as players. Yeah, you're trying to catch me up a moment. I, I see. Uh, not even. I'm just trying to see <laughs> nah, what's going on, you know? <laughs> <laughs> nah, I feel like, yeah, no, I think, I mean, that's a fair question. And I think I straddle the fence because I, I think you're right. Like, I've been able to see it. You know, as a player, you have certain, you know, you know, certain certain viewpoints, you know, towards the league, just in terms of, you know, player well-being and making sure, you know, players are taken care of. And, um, you know, once I was, you know, on the league side, you know, I'd even get it from players like, oh my God, you're on the league side now. We can't, can't talk to them about this. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and they, and they, and they took you out the group chat, huh? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You can't, can't go to the, to the uh, players associated means no more, none of that stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, for me, you know, once a player, you're always a player. I'm always want to do what's in the best interest of the players. Um, but, you know, obviously on the flip side, there's a commercial aspect to it as well. MLS is a business and I know that's, cliche to say but you know MLS is trying to look out for you know the well-being of the players but also you know its owners um and the the people who are financially backing the league as well so it's always a, it's a slippery slope and one that's tough to, to navigate and you gotta sometimes you're walking on a tight rope but um you know just if I'm you know frankly speaking I, I want the best for the players because I think I, I know the players are the lifeblood of the league and, and without the players you know there there is no there is no league so I know the players definitely need to be taken care of um obviously within the constraints and the guidelines and parameters um, that is MLS. Ooh, well, that's, that's someone that's done media training right there. That's someone that's, that's someone that's director of business operations. You like, MLS you like, you like, you like, you like that dodgeball, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had so. a quick question. I want to um, kind of back up just a little bit. Cause you know, a lot of our listeners are either in the media space in one capacity or another, or like they run a team or help manage the team. Um, from the partnership side, can you kind of give us an idea of like what leagues and what, um, I guess, teams are looking for when it comes to partnering with them, whether it be media or, you know, offering your services or what have you, I guess, similar to what you've done um, with MLS and how they've kind of managed their partnerships with, you know, Audi and Adidas and whatnot. Um, I guess kind of breaking down the anatomy of like how that deal works and like what the league is looking for in those situations. Yeah, well, it's really just about, you know, finding common goals and objectives. Um, obviously, as a brand, when you attach to a league, you want, you know, you're looking for, you want to attach to, like, these brands want to attach themselves to MLS's fan base. You know, they saw MLS demographic as one that they could, um, as a vehicle to, to market towards. Um, and obviously, you know, when MLS is um, attached and associated with some of these these larger brands, it gives the league, you know, better rapport, better, you know, the marketing, branding, um, exposure, um, just being able to attach into you know, their engagement and their channels uh, worldwide. So um, it gives the league, you know, exposure, you know, outside of just, you know, MLS's channels. But, you know, with, with MLS just being such a, a young league, exciting league, you know, where MLS is trying to be, you know, innovative, progressive, and really be on the front foot. And um, a lot of these brands are, you know, thinking the same things. You know, you just see how uh, times have changed and, you know, society these days are very much touch and go and even how we're consuming content these days um brands brands are very savvy and 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 you know cognizant of this and 
Um, I think MLS, you know, we're able to take some chances because we're not a league that, you know, been around for hundreds of years. You know, MLS is 26 years young right now. Um, so being able to um, kind of push the bar, um, being able to take chances, take some risks. I think I think a lot of brands do appreciate that. Um, and obviously with that, there, there comes some pitfalls, there comes some, you know, their successes and failures. But I do think brands can respect that and know that MLS is really trying to organically, you know, push the envelope a little bit and, and do new things. And I think another thing uh, about MLS is just, and soccer in general, is just like the fan culture. I think a lot of brands, you know, they, they understand or they see that the fan culture is different than what you get from an NBA or NFL or NHL. Um, and they enjoy that and they see how um, fans engage with the sport. Um, and brands love that fan, fan engagement. They love, you know, how involved our, our fans are with their, with their clubs and with the league. Um, and I think that's something enticing and that's something that, you know, brands can really promote and rally around. Uh, that's what it's all about. Do you have like a favorite moment, like a favorite partnership deal that has been done? Um, I know your, your, your closet is full of Adidas gear, but uh, <laughs> is there anything that like comes to mind during your time with MLS from the business side? Yeah, well, I think personally for me, uh, I think going to my first All-Star, obviously I didn't, I didn't make an All-Star as a player, but, you know, seeing All-Star from a from a, a corporate standpoint is something that's mind-blowing. And it, like you you wouldn't understand as a player just seeing everything that goes into, you know, putting on, putting on an event, putting on an All-Star, you know, how excited, you know, com commercial partners are, you know, to be associated with it. Um, just all the hands that go in, go on deck. Um, to put on an all-star so like going to my first all-star that was pretty like a, a surreal moment um, but just from a business standpoint I think you know managing a, a brand like Adidas um, has been has been top obviously Adidas is, is a global brand um, and just seeing how invested they are you know and, and committed they are to the league um, and how um, invested they are into to player development and youth development um, it, it, it's exciting to see um, and I, I think you know, going forward, I think that relationship is only going to continue to get stronger. I know, you know, certain people have different opinions about, you know, Adidas owning all league jerseys, um, but they don't see, you know, all the, the effort that Adidas puts in on the back end, you know, to take care of the clubs um, and to make sure, you know, clubs well-being are taken care of and, you know, how important the Adidas partnership is, you know, to the league. Honestly, you know, without that, without that partnership, you know, commencing, you know, way back, um, you know, who know, who knows where the league will be, but, um, you know, they, they've been great partners hand in hand, you know, in lockstep and just, just been able to work with them and just seeing like jersey creation processes and things of that sort. Um, it's eye opening to see and just, you know, seeing how far advanced, you know, things like that take place, you know, uh, jerseys for, you know, 2021, you know, those that process began in, you know, 2018. So it's just how far, how, yeah, how far out, you know, some of that planning has to take place. Um, and then just to see when the jerseys are launched and, you know, how, how joyous fans are and, you know, just seeing the reactions across social media. It's all, it's all crazy to see and, yeah. and see it come full circle. So three years to fumble the bag on some of these jerseys. It depends on the club. It depends on the club. There were, there were, there were a couple of fire ones this year. Though. Yeah, yeah. Facts. So uh, I, one question I had, uh, L, sorry, go ahead. I think you got a question. No, no, go ahead. Um, my question is, obviously, you know, I spoke about, you know, being on the playing side and then business side. Um, but you being in the corporate space, obviously, as a African-American athlete, um, MLS does a great job of hiring uh, former players of the league. 
obviously is continuing to get better. But what was that experience like for you, you know, being a, you know, black executive for a league office? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I didn't, like when I first stepped in, I wasn't really, you know, looking at it like that. You, you kind of take it in um, a, co- a couple of different buckets, like being a former player, you know, first of all, um, you know, you almost feel like, even though it's in sport, like being on the commercial side, you almost feel like you have to have to validate yourself and I'm not saying mm-hmm. it should or shouldn't be like that, but you know, you know, athletes, you know, from a, I guess from, a, if you look at it from a, a corporate or commercial, I have, you know, this stigma being like a jock attitude. So you, you want to go in there and, you know, you know, show your commitment and show your dedication and show, you know, that you do have the, the skill set and, um, you know, wherewithal to be able to go out there and, you know, do the same thing that you do on the pitch, be able to perform, yeah. you know, from a commercial and business standpoint. Um, so just proving yourself from, from that standpoint. Um, and it's also, you know, just being, uh, being a person of color in the office as well. Like you want to, you know, you want to, you want to represent, um, and make make sure, you know, people of color are being taken care for, uh, being taken care of, being able to have access, being, um, being exposed. Um, so, you know, for me, I was just trying to insert myself, you know, in all situations, positions possible, making sure I'm in, in meetings, um, just making sure that, you know, I was putting myself in positions to, uh, to represent, um, you know, for myself, you know, for my family, for, you know, you know, for black people in general, um, within the sport, because I think we need representation all across the board, not just on the field, but in those decision-making, um, meetings as well, you know, we need, we need, you know, minority decision makers and, you know, it's something I'm trying to do now, um, you know, with Charlotte FC, just, you know, making sure, you know, we have representation. I think, you know, our, pre- our president at Charlotte FC, Nick Kelly, has done a great job of building a, you know, very diverse, um, very diverse staff and diverse culture. Um, and that's something that he's really big on, making sure that, you know, us internally in the office, you know, we'll be representative of, you know, what's on the pitch. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll have a diverse fan base as well. And just really be a diverse, inclusive organization from top to bottom. Perfect. And so you mentioned uh, Charlotte FC. So let's talk about your role. Obviously, first and foremost, congratulations. Talk about how it came about, how they poached you. By we want all the details. <laughs> no, nah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's crazy. I think you know me and you spoke, you know, not too long ago, and I think um, you know understanding. I th- don't think at the time you know Charlotte had gotten the franchise yet. And I've always said that, you know, even growing up, we talked, we spoke about it earlier, just the hotbed of talent and, you know, the soccer culture that's in North Carolina, that this would be, you know, a great market. So when they, when they got the, um, when Tepper got the, got the franchise, you know, I, I was ecstatic about it. Um, you know, it was something I was excited about. And, you know, I was just in the back of my mind, I thought it'd be, you know, be great to work for, you know, a club that's in my, my hometown state. So uh really just started to do everything I can to to learn more about it obviously they were supposed to come in this year in 2021 um but with the pandemic you know expansion uh, got pushed out a bit so we'll be entering the league next year in 2022 um and I think that was just perfect timing for me um I think I was able to to gain some great experience um from the league office you know working in in corporate partnerships um and I think I was able to use that you know the expertise and knowledge that I was able to to garner at the league office um, to parlay that into my gig uh, with Charlotte FC. You know, I was able to just tap into some of my my resources and then people that I've met along the way um, just to get some introductions into their leadership team um, and had a couple conversations. Um, and ultimately that that landed to, to the gig that I'm, in, that I'm in now. So just looking forward to it. I think the the exciting part about it is, 
been able to build something from scratch, you know, literally building a club from the ground up, I think is a, a once in a lifetime opportunity and to be able to do that in my home state um, and be able to give back, um, really get involved with the community. Um, that's something that we're big on is community engagement and knowing that, you know, we don't hit the pitch till, till next year. Um, that's what it's all about, just getting out into the community, um, you know, having some fan engagement moments, um, having some community moments, access moments, really give back um, because that's, that's what we're going to be all about is really getting giving back to the community. Uh, that's what it's all about, you know, because players come and go, owners come and go, executives come and go, but the fans and the community is always there to stay. So that's it's important. It's important that you said that, and I appreciate that. When it comes to, you know, an expansion team, what are some steps that you guys are taking from the playing side to ensure that you guys are successful? You know, we've seen Atlanta, you know, Nashville, they've done well, and I, I'm, I'm excited for this rivalry that's going to happen in the in the South between Charlotte, Nashville, Atlanta, Orlando. Sweet teacup. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Sweet teacup. Ooh, oh, I love that. Hey, you might have to hire two cents for that. I know, I know. Nah, it's, been, it's been circling around. I ain't come up with that. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, we're going to claim it. Take credit. <laughs> uh, so, but then you've seen other teams, unfortunately, that we don't want to name by name that haven't done so well as an expansion franchise. So um, what are what are some steps that you guys are going to be taking? I think I think the biggest one is just having this, this runway leading up until our inaugural season. Um, I think if you look at some of the, most successful expansion clubs, you know, they've all had, you know, two, three years heading into, you know, their, their, their expansion year or inaugural season. Um, so that just gives you more time to do, do research, you know, gain intel, um, you know, get the appropriate staff in place, you know, making sure, you know, you're, you're really methodically and strategically thinking about how you want to build a team, how you want to build a club. And I think we've been able to do that, um, obviously, some on our own and some due to the pandemic as well, a little bit forced. Um, but I think we, um, our leadership team has done a good job of putting the, the right staff in place. Um, like I said, our president, Nick Kelly, has done an amazing job just, you know, enga engaging with fans, engaging with the community. Um, but on the technical side, um, you know, Zoran, he's done an amazing job just, you know, signing a, a few players. I think we have four players signed right now. And, you know, he's been he able signed to me, so he ain't doing a great yeah. job. <laughs> <laughs> we got to bring you in on trial mode. We got to bring you in. But we said I want that front office internship. Player front office role. Can you do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I player coaches roles now, so. Yeah, we got to parlay that. We got to parlay that. You got to get that in your next contract. <laughs> now, all right so i got a i got a scenario for you since you're a director of business operations playoffs first four years no mls cup no trophies but you consistently make the playoffs mm -hmm. or up and down but you get an mls cup within the first four years i'll take mls cup MLS okay cup all day mls Respect. cup you know you know we're not trying to we don't get no participation rules around here we're trying to we're trying to win the thing I feel um, it. I like you that. know, when a most cup, you know, it's going to you know, bring more fans in. It's going to, you know, it's going to really excite the community. You know, it's going to, you know, get the, the entire Carolina is excited about the club. And, you know, you know, obviously that's going to bring, you know, better players and talent in as well. And I think we're, we're building some top facilities um, as well, renovating uh, Bank of America Stadium as well to make it more soccer specific. So I think with all the, all these uh, renovations and, um, all, all the excitement around the club, getting MLS Cup, it would just, just add to that. So, you know, I'm, I'm, taking, I'm taking MLS Cup all day. 
Respect, respect. So okay. I got a question, another one. Um, obviously, David Tepper, big stepper. Uh, in your line of work, you've been working with high-level people from Cosmos to, I mean, Kraft, uh, all these different people. But Tepper, I mean, big stepper. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you learned from him specifically from the business standpoint? Well, actually, I haven't had the opportunity to meet him uh, quite yet. Uh, so I've been I've been working remote um, for you know I, I started in April, so I've been working remote, kind of going back and forth between New York and Charlotte. I'll move to Charlotte permanently in the next couple months. Um, so hopefully, I get a chance to to meet him then. But you know, just you know everything that I've heard um, from you know you know my leadership team from excuse me Nick Kelly and Tom Glick. Um, it's just that oh, good he wants. Yeah. Mr. Yeah. They, 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 they want to win. Um, they, they want to win. They want to do it the right way. You know, we have ambitious goals from, you know, both the, uh, a technical and competitive standpoint. Um, obviously, you know, first year we want to, we want to put a product on the field that's going to compete right away. That's going to, you know, make the playoffs and make a run, um, you know, for a championship in those first couple of years, you know, but also, you know, from a, from a commercial standpoint, you know, we have, high goals you want to engage and, you know, partner with brands um, that want to elevate and grow with us um, and, you know, reach these new heights with us and, you know, be part of the party. So we're, we're excited about it. No, that's what it's all about. Um, what steps are you taking to, you know, you talked about community. Uh, what steps are you taking to engage the, you know, black community? Are we going to see like a, a young Darius Barnes on the squad? <laughs> from from Charlotte, from Raleigh, from you know Kerry, um, that is playing for Charlotte, Charlotte FC. Yeah, I mean we need we need we need players better than me. I tell you that we need players <laughs> better than me. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I think mean, I think that's the, the the thing we're doing. We're you know obviously we're getting partners on board. You know we're getting the community. We're building you know building many pitches. We're creating um, you know partnerships with youth youth organizations all across the Carolinas. You know we we want you know no part of Carolinas to be to be untapped. And so, you know, that's a huge passion of mine, a passion point of mine is to, you know, making sure, if, you know, you know, players and, you know, and kids that look like me, that look like us, um, know about Charlotte FC and know about, you know, what we're doing, you know, have opportunities for them to come to the game, um, you know, have opportunities for them to be involved with our, our academy. Um, just making sure, you know, if there's an opportunity that they know about it. And at, at that point, it's, it's a choice for them. Um, but at least they have that choice to make and make sure that the choice is there. So um, that's something that I'm I'm going to be heavily involved in, making sure, you know, access and, you know, we're in it as inclusive as can be. And, you know, that's definitely, you know, one of our, our principles is, you know, to be as diverse and inclusive as possible, like I said, from, from top to bottom. So, you know, we're right now we're, you know, we're hitting different events. Um, I don't know if you've been following Charlotte FC. We've been highlighting, you know, small businesses um, in the Charlotte area um, as well. Um, you know, a lot of small black owned businesses. Um, so not even just from a technical standpoint, from a commercial standpoint, making sure we're, we're helping, knowing that we have the back um, of our community, uh, especially coming out of this tough time in the pandemic over the last, you know, 15 months. No, that's what it's all about. And I'm excited to see what you guys, you know, start cooking up and continue to cook up. Um, obviously, you know, you've played in the league, you've worked for the league. Now you're, you know, working with the MLS franchise. When do you think or who do you think has the potential to be like that next superstar? And what are some ways that we can tap into like that culture that you see from the NFL, from the NBA? You know, you talk about your love for fashion, 
you, you know, you, you stay tapped in from a culture standpoint. How can we get that in MLS? And who do you think like carries that torch? Yeah, I mean, I just think we just need to continue to to tell our stories. I, I think we need to, you know, I, I think you're starting to see, you know, you know, you got these content publishers like, you know, Players Tribune and, and Bleacher Report, um, Complex, you know, I think channels like this are where, you know, fans and, you know, the demographic for MLS fans are really tapping into. So I think we can do a better job of getting content um, on you know, those publishing partners like that. Um, just to tell individual player stories, you know, I think, you know, there's amazing stories that, that need to be told uh, across MLS, you know, I think even just, you know, hearing, you know, Jeremy Ibobisi, you know, his story and everything that he was doing um, with Black Players for Change, you know, last year, and even what he was doing before that, and like, I don't think anybody, you know, knew, you know, really just how, how smart and educated he was, you know, about the space, um, and so just, I think, getting getting some of these these publishers and distribution companies involved with the game um i think is, is something that's going to really expand the reach of our players in, in mls and, and really be able to to capture more fans because you know mls and, and soccer obviously is a global game um and so being able to tell these stories you know you know far and out um i think it's only gonna gonna help the sport and, and help the league grow no that's facts the more we share the more we grow and um Two questions request. I know it's your guys' you know, inaugural season coming up. I would love if there was like a hard knocks type, uh, all in, all or nothing type docu-series collaborated with two cents sports situation <laughs> type going. And I hope you don't go Hollywood when I ask you for tickets. Those are my two yeah. question requests. Never. First of all, never Hollywood. You know, you, my man, a thousand grand. I got you. Anytime, anytime you're in the Queen City, let me know. Okay, respect. Let me know. We'll go. We'll go grab some uh, North Carolina barbecue. Yeah, I'm a little closer, so I'll probably hit you up before he would. Though. Let's go. Where do you, where, do you where, where, where do you rank North Carolina barbecue? Because we had discussions about pizza. Shout out to our boy TJ. Shout out to uh, Soccer. They were they were arguing about New York versus Detroit for Chicago pizza, but North Carolina barbecue. Where do you rank it versus, um, you know, Texas, like Memphis, Memphis? It is top. It is top. <laughs> top, top, You can't top. just say top without, like, Because like, this is what I tell you. North Carolina barbecue is, like, actually, it's like a vinegar-based, like, pulled pork. Like, we don't, we don't do the brisket and all that. Like, we can, but, like, the pulled pork is where it's at. Like, all right. I don't, I don't know. I don't, like, I don't know how much they, like, the spices are the vinegar-based. Uh, like I don't need like all this all the sauce, but that vinegar based sauce is just that's where it's at. Like this one too, like the fist slap. That's when <laughs> that's when you really know. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that whenever you're in town, I, I got you. All right. No Carolina barbecue on me. Full pork. That's what you gotta go with. All yeah. right, respect. All day. Oh, respect. All right. Oh, what we got next? I'm excited. That shit making me hungry. I'm not even gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's jump into uh, no car, yellow car, red car. So this is a rapid fire segment of the show um, where I'll read off some news topics. We actually got four now. We started with three. We got four now. Um, and you'll give your opinion on these topics with using the soccer card system. So no card is uh, I agree or I'm cool with it. Yellow card is I can go either way. And red card is I disagree or I'm not cool with it. And kind of give a little explanation of why you gave that card. Um, 
so we can jump right into it. Got got the rules, right. everything straight. Let's do it. All right. So first up, U.S. Soccer is taking their marketing in-house once their contract with Soccer United Marketing ends in 2022. So what do you think this means for both parties? And so the card here is what card are we giving U.S. Soccer for disassociating or moving away from some? Well, we can go first. Yeah, I know Darius is going to give us his political answer, but I'll probably give it a yellow card. I think uh, it could have happened sooner, um, you know, with the way the game is going. Uh, I think it's better to keep it in-house, obviously. You know, things get conflicted when you hire somebody to do it. Um, but let's not take away from the fact that U.S. Soccer and some had a great relationship over the past however many years they were working together, so... Um, I think now U.S. Soccer is at a point where they can bring it in house. So, yeah, yellow card. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I probably say the same thing. I think I think Amobi said it well. I think um, you know, I think U.S. Soccer and some have done a, a great job of building the sport together. Um, I think you know both leaderships team have done a great job in just seeing the vision, you know, for the sport. But obviously, there comes a point in time where you know things need to need to change, and you know, I think U.S. Soccer felt that. It was in their best interest to to bring things back in house and you know hire a staff to to really do you know take that lift internally from a you know a media standpoint and corporate partnership standpoint. Um, so you know we'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean it's, it's not to say you know one way's the the best way to do it. I think you know they'll they'll take their shot at it and take their stab. But I think you know I'm obviously biased biasly speaking. Um, I think some did a, did a great job kind of elevating you know u.s soccer and bringing some some amazing partnerships to life and making some of those introductions and some of those will continue to live on and some will some won't but um you know at the end of the day i don't think there's you know a, a wrong way to go about it it's just a matter of preference sure yeah fans will say remove some of that conflict of interest between mls and u.s soccer so interesting to see what happened all right so next up Inter won the Scudetto this year, but their manager Antonio Conte is leaving because the team wants to sell 80 million euros worth of players in the summer to fix some of their financial issues. So what card are we giving Conte for wanting to jump ship? I got no card. They should be giving them 80 million euros to boost his squad. I mean, Champions League is up. He broke a 10-year run of Juventus just dominating the league. Um, so uh, he's going to have a plenty of suitors. It's just unfortunate because, you know, they have a, they have a squad and, um, you know, they did it the right way. Conte's coaching is excellent. A lot of players doing well there. And then for having, well, we don't, we're not, we don't know who the replacement is going to be, but you know, it's just tough. You, you would hope that they kind of continue and made like another run. Um, yeah. So no card on his standpoint. Yeah, I'm going to say no card as well. I think, um, I mean, it's unfortunate to see the impact that the, the pandemic has had. Obviously, you see the impact that it's had on, you know, a lot of smaller clubs, but even the impact it's having on some of these, you know, larger traditional clubs as well. I think, um, you know, I think Copte came in, you know, and he did what he does. You know, he came in, you know, had a had a way of playing, and I think he was able to rally that group around. Um, you know, you could see the, the impact that he had on Lukaku um, and just the, the breakout year that he had but you know i think i think it's it, it, it hurts because you think you can see inner kind of scaling back and, and, and dropping down um just when they had started to, to 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 make their way back up to the top ranks obviously winning winning the league this year but you know it wasn't you know a couple of years ago where they were you know mid bottom table 
So to have a big club like that, um, you know, have this financial crisis right now, just as, as they start to, to reach back to the to the pinnacle and to the you know, the elite clubs in Serie A, I think it's, it's tough to see. Okay. Hey, didn't uh, Moby? Didn't Conte coach uh, Chelsea? Yeah, did a great he won, job. He won, did he win the league with them? He won the league, yeah. and I think he won the FA Cup. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Proven. He's proven. Yeah. Former Juventus guy too. Like he, uh, he get every t- where he goes, he gets the job done. Hope Arsenal got him on a short list. Then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next up. Fiorentina New York Cosmos owner Rocco Camiso says that FIFA is applying a double standard when it comes to the Super League and MLS, allowing one to be a closed league and the other to not be closed. So what card are we giving Rocco for his sentiment? To be honest, because this is one, and I love it because Darius probably made me play for him. I have no problems with anything Camiso does. I think he's amazing. Uh, He brings a lot of... uh, opinions to the sport and I would love to see him if if he would have got the Cosmos in the MLS I would have just loved to see that so no car for me I think you know press the issue see what they say for yeah. me personally I, I would go yellow car I would go yellow car because I, I, I love Rocco and um you know he was fantastic he was always around you know when I was in the Cosmos coming into the locker room um you know he, he was probably more present than a lot of not a lot than than some other professional sports owners are, um, but he always like like a movie. He's always gonna kind of press the envelope, um, you know, and take his political stances. Even you know, if he if he doesn't agree or if he, if he doesn't think that you know it's really gonna get across the line, they'll just kind of raise it to play devil's advocate a little bit. So um, you know, I have no no issues with him saying it, but at the same time, it's like some battles you know you're gonna fight, but you know you're not gonna win. Yeah, I, I just like the fact that he's like a little instigator sometimes. That's exactly it. When that when that situation where him and the uh, Miami FC owner were like, "Yo, just let us in. We'll we'll pay for everything." Like, you know how much you know leverage you have to have, like money you have to have to even like say that. Yeah, that's a Yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's a awesome move. Yeah, my pockets aren't that deep to be talking. Like that. <laughs> well, let me go sit in the corner and watch. All right, last one. So word on the street is that Tottenham is in talks with Pochettino to return to the club as manager. So what card are we giving Tottenham if this is true? Tottenham's over here with the hey big head. Uh, <laughs> my goodness. Yeah, I'll give a yellow card because if they would have just given the resources that he wanted after they went to the Champions League final, uh, the situation wouldn't have happened. So obviously Daniel Levy, he's like, he's, he's not even trying to be frugal. He's trying to be cheap. And um, it, it cost him like one of the, I'm probably one of the best coaches in their career sorry in their club history and it looks like they're gonna have to go through a rebuilding phase now so um yeah man i'm 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 giving tottenham a red on this one to be honest (laughs) i'm giving them a straight red they gotta they gotta go they need to they need to take a match off and think about the decisions that they've made uh no it's just it's just crazy to me that that they didn't have uh pochettino's back you know coming especially you know they had they had a rough go at it last year but you know coming off of a you know, an appearance in the Champions League final, you know, that's that's tough. And, you know, someone that, to really take take a club to, to that heights with, you know, obviously they have talent, but, you know, they, they're, they're not on the talent level of a of a Man City or, you know, a Barcelona or Real, like some of the, the top, top clubs. 
Um, and, you know, to see him go and, you know, then, then they go and, you know, get Mourinho um, and thinking the grass is going to be greener elsewhere. And then to come back knocking just, you know, one manager later, I think that's, that's, that's bad taste and poor taste in my book. I think, um, I think Poach should stay where he is with, with PSG, you know, with all the talent that he has on that squad. Um, you know, I think, I think he could do big things with, with that squad in, in a full season. Yeah, exactly. Do you think Poach would even consider coming back? No chance. No chance. <laughs> Unless you got to give him the bag, like <laughs> double whatever he's making right now. Yeah, yeah, new phone. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's it for this week. At no car, yellow car, red car. Yeah. So Darius, thank you so much for tapping in with us. If anyone wants to connect with you or learn more about what you got going on with Charlotte FC, you know, how can they do that? Yeah, man, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, definitely was a great conversation. Um, anybody can hit me up at Darius.Barnes at CharlotteFootballClub.com, um, Instagram, Twitter, D underscore Barnes 25. Respect, respect. And uh, we're going to definitely hit you up about this uh, vinegar-based pulled pork recipe or restaurants <laughs> that we got to go to. Um, good luck to you as you guys embark on a new season. I, for one, am excited. I mean, the Queen City is very underrated. Uh, y'all be having, we'll probably talk about that offline. It's like, it's like that. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. People people know, NBA players, they'll sell you like, Charlotte's one of their favorite away trips. And there's a yeah, it's a, it's a sleeper city. You know, we had we had a couple of sleeper cities in MLS too. <laughs> That's true. But I, I want people to actually, now that we, I want to do like a whole series of like sleeper cities where road trips, like people, and, for those that don't know, Darius knows all the hotspots. Any road trip, <laughs> Darius knows all the hotspots. Uh, but we're not going to get into that today. So no. Coming soon to Two Cents Sports. Keep our yeah, we'll keep that on another segment. On another segment. But that's our show for this week. Subscribe, rate, and review. It helps us get discovered. Follow us on all the socials at Two Cents FC. Check out our merch at Two Sports.shop. It helps the show. It helps support the show. Tweet us your comments on the show and any topics you want me or El to discuss. This week is Champions League. Go Chelsea. And we are out. <laughs> What's up?